I'm reading for our scripture, for our preacher, from 2 Corinthians chapter 2, beginning with verse 14, following. Now thanks be unto God, which always causeth us to triumph in Christ, and maketh manifest the savor of his knowledge by us in every place. For we are unto God a sweet savor of Christ in them that are saved and in them that perish. To the one we are the savor of death unto death, and to the other the savor of life unto life. And who is sufficient for these things? For we are not as many which corrupt the word of God, but as of sincerity, but as of God, in the sight of God speak we in Christ. Do we begin again to commend ourselves, or need we, as some others, epistles of commendation to you or letters of commendation from you? Ye are our epistle written in our hearts, known and read of all men. For as much as ye are manifestly declared to be the epistle of Christ, ministered by us, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not in tables of stone, but in fleshly tables of the heart. For such trust have we through Christ to Godward, not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think anything as of ourselves, but our sufficiency is in God. Thank you, Brother Taylor. It's a real blessing to be here tonight. It's a scary experience, and I appreciate uh, the spirit of this meeting thus far. And I want to say at the beginning that there are so many, many, many people here tonight who could effectively preach this annual sermon. I need your prayers. I feel like one interpretation of the scripture we've just read is, who is sufficient for these things? That's the way I feel. But I want to lay that on your heart tonight. That text that has been read to us by Brother Taylor, who is sufficient for these things? In the ancient world of Paul's day, when a commander-in-chief would come home from the battle victorious, there would be a parade of power, a Roman triumph in the city of Rome. The commander-in-chief leading the way and those generals and field marshals in the way. And then there would be following behind in chains of shame the victims who were soon to suffer execution. And then there would be those standing around who would dispense incense, a sweet odor to those who were in victory, but a terrible stench of death to those who were under the sentence of death. And Paul says, I have a mandate from the Master to give the message of Jesus Christ to every human being of my day, to get the glorious gospel out to the ends of the earth. That gospel message 
is as a sweet perfume to those who are being saved, but it is as a stench of death to those who reject and to those who are lost. And Paul cries out, who is sufficient for these things? What shall I do? Who is sufficient in such a day as this? As we hear the clarion call in our day, get the mission out, get the gospel out, go out to the ends of the earth, reach that last one for Jesus Christ. Our souls cry out, who is sufficient for this day and for this task? Now their day was no different from our day. In that day they had the same problems of will the people believe, will they hear? Their day was ruled by materialism and paganism and heathenism and they looked on their right hand and on their left and maybe like David of old they cried out refuge fails me where can I go these early disciples these early torchbearers these men who were flames of fire going across a world that was indifferent and uh, did not want God's message our world is no different there is a hunger and yet there is an indifference and as we Hear the clarion call, bold mandate, a binding mission. Confront every person in the earth by the year 2000 with the claims of Jesus Christ. Go with Christ after the lost, as Scarborough would put it. We have a sense of destiny, and we have a voice of urgency in our soul to get the glorious gospel out. Think of our world. Over in Gorky, a Russian city on the Volga River, about the size of Buffalo, New York, there are three churches to reach all those people. And the Soviet people are crying out, give us more churches, give us more churches. And in a little city in our own state, in 1960, there were 22 churches. And in 1977, there are 68 churches, a city very, very small. Out across the world, they are crying, send the gospel, give us churches, give us the word. We think of Pope Paul tonight on his 80th birthday with millions of Christians who call themselves Catholics, acknowledging the authority of the Pope as over against the authority of the Word of God. We think of neo-orthodoxy with an all-or-nothing idea that revealed knowledge of God through the Bible is impossible, that revelation must be by personal encounter thus building a whole doctrinal stand that sounds correct, but it undermines the authority of this book with which we have to do, the message of the book, the valid message. We think of Cuba, where churches go on and Christians go on under harassment. One church was fined $150 recently in Cuba because they moved a wall plaque from one place to another without getting permission. We think of the communist countries where the gospel of Jesus Christ is going on and our brothers and sisters behind the Iron Curtain under terrible circumstances, circumstances that are unfriendly to the gospel, continue to preach the word and people are being saved, people are being baptized, and we dare not break faith with those who carry on this great task under tragic circumstances, difficult circumstances. We think of our own United States and the UFOs that continue to plague and to color our skies with grandeur and yet with fear. And our people wonder, what are these? 
And uh, all kinds of explanations have come forward. Some have said why they're invasions from outer space or they're enemy rocket ships that we don't know anything about. And I think it was Brooks Alexander that recently suggested they may be a, a kind of spiritual demonic force that's a reality that has overcome the forces of materialism and physics and is making a display across the heavens according to Luke 21.10. We live in a strange world. The horoscope appears in all the daily newspapers. And instead of going to the word of God, our world listens to Jean Dixon and what she says concerning the burnt la the, the Lance affair, that it's not over, that Carter's still going to have problems with it. And uh, we listen to her forecasts about the U.S. coming to the brink of disaster in the Near East and all of the other things that she would say. And you know, we wonder who is sufficient in a world like this. How can Baptists, Kentucky Baptists, Southern Baptists, how can believers in the Lord Jesus Christ attempt a bold mission idea that would get the gospel to every individual, every human being in the face of the earth with all of the troubles and all of the problems that we face? Who is sufficient? And I think we can hear the Apostle Paul say, we're sufficient. We're sufficient because we have learned that our sufficiency is not in self, but in the sovereign one. Our sufficiency is not in Satan's strategies, but in the spirit's stability. Our sufficiency is not in scribal skepticism, but in the simple sincerity of the word of God. First of all, our sufficiency is not in self, but in the sovereign God. In 2 Corinthians 3, 5, that Brother Taylor read a moment ago, now, that, not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think anything as of ourselves, but our sufficiency is of God. Self-sufficiency has always been dangerous. I am monarch of all I survey. My right there is none to dispute. From the center all round to the sea, I am lord of the fowl and the brute. That leads to one's trusting in his own heart. And the Bible says, a man that trusts in his own heart is a fool. And the end thereof, ways of death. And a haughty spirit goeth before destruction. We may trust in ourselves when we go into restaurants and witness, when we go out on the streets to witness, when we go over television or radio, when our missionaries go across the world and try to give this story of Jesus Christ to people who have no idea, no background, no spiritual understanding of what we're saying. We may trust in ourselves, but some of us have another problem. We may go into self-inferiority. We may have a self-inferior complex saying we're not sufficient for these things. We can't do it. You mean reach the world in our lifetime? Confront every individual on the earth with the gospel of Jesus Christ? Well, Lord, we don't have the money. We don't have the personnel. We're not able. We can't do it. Moses faced this. God said, Moses, you go down to Egypt and lead my people free. You say to Pharaoh, let my people go. And Moses said, Lord, who am I? God said to make any difference who you are. Look at me. And Moses said, but Lord, who are you? And God said, I am the great I am. You go down and say to Pharaoh, the great I am, the one that is in the eternal present tense, the sovereign of the universe has sent you. And then Moses said, but Lord, Lord, they won't believe. And God's patience was wearing thin. And he said, said Moses, what is that in your hand? Well, it's a rod. Put it on the ground. And it became a serpent. And then God said, Moses, you take what you have and you give it to me and I'll multiply it and I'll bless it and I'll use it 
and all Egypt will flee in front of you. And then Moses, almost to the exasperating point with God, Moses said, now, Lord, all right about all that, but Lord, I'm not eloquent. What am I going to do about that? God said, all right, Moses, I'll give you an errand, but you go. And when Moses finally found out that God was in charge, that Moses was not going in his own strength, that it was not self-sufficiency, but his sufficiency, Moses went out and all of Egypt fled before Moses. It was the same thing with Joshua, same thing with Elijah, the same thing with Simon Peter when he stood on the day of Pentecost and preached and 3,000 people came to know the Lord Jesus Christ. Our sufficiency must be of God. In Ephesians 3.20, He is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that worketh in us. In Psalm 2.8, Ask of me and I will give thee the heathen for thine inheritance and the uttermost parts of the earth for thy habitation. In Acts 1.8, But ye shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you and ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. Mrs. Suffield put it this way, Little as much when God is in it. Labor not for wealth or fame. There's a crown and you can win it if you'll go in Jesus' name. Our sufficiency is not in Satan's subtlety, but in the Spirit's stability. Listen to this. In 2 Corinthians 2.11, Lest Satan should get an advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. Satan's devices have never changed. They're the same. Subtract from yourself standards, sacrifice standards. Forget all about the reality of sin in the world. Wink at it. Call it by pretty names. Forget about the divorce problem that almost half the marriages today end in divorce. Forget about wife swapping and cheating and forget that homosexuality is not just a sickness but it's a sin sickness. Forget about the liquor problem. Forget all those nine million people who are enchained in the slaves of liquor, 500,000 of them between the ages of 10 and 19. Forget that 125,000 people were killed on the highways of America in five years. More people than died in the wars of Korea and Vietnam. More United States losses. Forget all about that, Satan would say. Call sin by pretty names. Don't get too hard on it. And don't, whatever you do, don't get too doctrinal. Dr. W.K. Wood was for years our state evangelist in Kentucky, a great man of God, one of the great soul-winning preachers. I don't know whether Dr. Wood's here tonight or not. But that dear man of God told a story in our church one time. He said a great preacher, an eloquent preacher, stood up and he preached a great sermon. And he was correct, elite, eloquent. And when he finished, a lady came up to him and said, I like you, sir. I like the way you preach. You don't preach no doctrine or nothing. (laughs) And I believe that's what devil would tell us. Don't preach the doctrines. Water down the gospel. Forget about sin. And just preach some kind of an ooey-gooey salvation. Easy believism. Ladies and gentlemen, we dare not temper and tamper with the demands of discipleship. We must give the word as it is. And God will honor his word. Now, if the devil can't get our eyes on ourselves and if he can't get us elated over our accomplishments he'll probably try to get us defeated one of the greatest tools the devil has is defeat discouragement despair our deacons don't want to go forward 
Our church just won't budge. My mission field is so hard, nobody understands how hard it is. Why, the people around me, you can't win them to Christ anymore. Used to be easy, but you can't do it now. That's what Satan would tell us. And you know, Charles Haddon Spurgeon, in his little book called Lectures to My Students, has a message in it that he calls the minister's fainting fits. And he says to those preachers, the very emotions that enable you to be God's preacher, those very fine feelings in your soul that make you responsive to the other people, those are the same emotions that will cast you down, down in despair unless you remember that this is God's business. This is God's work. Our sufficiency is not in Satan's subtlety, but in the Spirit's supply. And Paul again and again would go to the Holy Spirit. He would seek the Spirit's guidance. He wrote to the Philippian Christians, This I pray that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment, that you may discern things that are excellent. Should I go to Bithynia and preach the gospel in northern Asia Minor? Or should I go to Troas? Go to Troas, Paul. Out beyond Troas is the Aegean. And beyond the Aegean is Philippi and Europe and England and America. Go to Troas, Paul. How is Paul to know? He must be tuned in to the Holy Spirit. He must seek with all of his soul the direction of the Lord. This I pray that you may discern things that are excellent. And so in our day, should we pay a thousand or ten thousand or twenty thousand dollars for a new chandelier or should we send money to a church in Michigan or Vermont or Tokyo to wire their building should we get our people all involved in the leagues and in the ball games of our community or shall we call out an army of people who will train themselves to go in the highways and hedges and bring people to Jesus Christ shall we take our energies and our creativity and our finances and our money and invest them in self and on our own pet projects? Or shall we invest these very things in that mission that would get the glorious gospel out to the ends of the earth? Jim Elliott, the marvelous missionary to the AUKUS Indians, wrote his mother from Wheaton, Illinois, just before he went to South America. Dear mother, I don't mean to sound pedantic as if I knew everything, but Mother, those of us who have enlisted with Jesus have enlisted with one who talked about a cross and about dying to self. Oh, God, give me the spirit of the great short-lived one. And then he said, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Our sufficiency is not in scribal skepticism, but in simple sincerity. For we are not as many who corrupt the word, but as of sincerity, as of God, in the sight of God, speak we in Christ. Our vision is biblical. Jesus said in John 4:35, Say not ye there are yet four months, and then cometh the harvest? Lift up your eyes, and look on the fields, for they are white, all ready to harvest 2,000 years ago. 2,000 years ago. Tonight in our world, there are 956 million Christians 
This includes the Roman Catholics and the Eastern Orthodox and all the Protestants and the Baptists. 956 million professing Christians. Praise the Lord. Wouldn't you like to see all those together? That's fantastic. But wait a minute. Tyndale House in Wheaton, the same day they released, they released those figures, said there are more Hindus, Buddhists, Confucius, Shinto, Taoists, and Mohammedans than there are Christians. A billion, 528 million. Just think, when we go to sleep in a little while, here in this convention city, we'll be going to sleep in a world of four billion human beings where there are more philosophers and ancestor worshipers and pagans and Mohammedans than there are believers in the Lord Jesus. And this is 2,000 years after Jesus said, Go, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel. 24% of the world are professing Christians. When I began to preach at our church in Bowling Green, they used to tell us that 35% of the world were professing Christians. Now it's 24%. I heard W.A. Criswell say, by the end of the century, unless the churches of the land do something radical and bold, there will be less than 2% of the world's population believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the reason for bold mission. This is the reason we must go out and confront every human being in our city, in our county, in our state, and in these states, and to the ends of the earth with the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. We must go. Houston Lanier was in our county the other day in a World Missions Conference. He said, as you drive up the mountain parkway in Kentucky, you can think four out of every five people you meet have never made a profession of faith in Jesus Christ. Takahiro Oe, missionary in Japan, told us that of the 112 million people in Japan, 1% know Jesus. And that includes Roman Catholics as well as Protestants and Baptists, 1%. And he said, we have 148 missionaries there, Baptist missionaries, but the Mormons have 2,000 missionaries in Japan. God help us to go, to give in order to go, and to get the gospel out. Our mandate is believed. Bob Pierce said a few years ago, the leader of world vision, communism is out daring us, they're out paying us, they're out dedicating us, they're out doing us, and communism is winning with a lie while Christians are losing with the truth. This could be said about the cults today. What a day for Baptists to accept this challenge. What a day. And our sufficiency, our sufficiency, we don't have to look inside. We don't have to look to Satan's stratagems. We do not have to look at scribal skepticism. What we look at is the sincerity of Jesus who said, as my Father hath sent me, so send I you. Our mandate is believed. Men are lost. Red, yellow, black, and white, they are precious in his sight. Our gospel is hid to them that are lost. We have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. We are ambassadors for Christ. As though God did beseech you by us, I pray you in Christ's stead, be reconciled to God. Christianity is exclusive. 
There is no such thing as the great cosmic Christ. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And unless we take that message of life, that same wonderful sweet order of salvation which is to us a victory will be to those who are perishing a stench of death, dying without God and without hope. On the cornerstone of the tabernacle at Ridgecrest are these words. From this mountaintop of vision and inspiration, we Southern Baptists would carry the message of Jesus into every valley of human need. This is why Squire Boone came into Kentucky in 1776. This is why Joshua Barnett came in 1781, starting churches and preaching in the bluegrass. This is why Lottie Moon went out to China and spent 40 Christmases there and finally died of starvation in a Japanese harbor, pouring out her heart for China. This is why George Truett claimed Dallas for the Lord. This is why Bill Wallace and Flora Dodson went out to China. This is why M.P. Hunt labored for a hospital in Kentucky. This is why F.R. Walters spent 52 years in Manchester and his son following in his train, a great associational missionary, and his grandson, Mr. Walking Bible of Kentucky, David Walters, preaching the word of God. And on and on we could go with the roll call of men and men and women who are out and out for Jesus Christ serving the Lord. I talked to Dr. Lee on his... 91st birthday the other day. He said, Richard, I wish you'd pray for me. He said, I haven't preached since April 3rd. Been a preacher 70 years. This is the longest time I haven't preached. I'm blind. Oh, but he said, I, I've got enough stored away in my soul to preach a thousand years. Pray that I'll be able to do it again. That I'll be able to go out and reach the lost for Christ. I pray he will. But whether he can or doesn't, we can. And we must go with that flaming gospel, the Lord Jesus Christ. There are many great churches in Kentucky. We could call the roll call Florence. This beautiful place here. They've been so hospitable to us. Severance Valley, 9th and O in Louisville. Belfry First Baptist. Bob Norman gave that cooperative program report. His church gave over 60% to missions last year. Calvary Baptist Church. Somerset First and on and on. Walnut Street Baptist in Louisville. For 22 years, Dr. Finley Gibson preached at Walnut Street from World War I to World War II through the deep, dark, Great Depression. And Walnut Street led Baptists in soul winning and in mission outreach. Once a year, Dr. Gibson would get his people together in an anniversary service on the 1st of October. And he would remind them that the great mission of our church, the great important work is that of soul winning and missions at home and to the ends of the earth. And then he would close that sermon each year with Joaquin Miller's famous poem, Behind him lay the gray Azores, behind the gates of Hercules, before him not the ghost of shores, before him only shoreless seas. The good mate said, Now must we pray, for lo, the very stars are gone. Brave Admiral, speak, what shall we say? He said, Sail on, sail on and on. And so must we sail on and on in the ideal, in the concept, true to the mandate of the Master, that the main work, the supreme business of the Lord's Church is getting the gospel out to the ends of the earth, beginning in our Jerusalem and in our Samaria and up to the uttermost parts of the earth, going on and on. 
but our message is belated. We sing at Christmas time, go tell it on the mountain. The shepherds went out quickly and told everywhere. Over 1900 years ago, Jesus said, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Kentucky became a state in 1792. Now listen, on May 30th, 1792, in Nottingham, England, William Carey stood and ushered in the great modern missionary movement with these words, expect great things from God, attempt great things for God. Is it possible that we, who have come to the kingdom for such a time as this, who have placed our sufficiency in the sovereign, could say, Lord, if you'll help me, we will start a new epoch, a new phase of that modern missionary movement, going into all the world, confronting every creature in the earth with the gospel claims of Jesus Christ, until Christ shall come, and until the kingdoms of this world shall become the kingdom of our God and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and forever. We're late. We're belated, but not too late. The great world's heart is aching aching fiercely in the night, and God alone can heal it, and God alone give light. And the men to speak the message, and to speak the living word are you and I, my brother, and the millions that have heard. Can we close our eyes to duty? Can we fold our hands at ease while the gates of night stand open to the pathway of the seas? Can we close up our compassion? Can we leave our prayers unsaid till the lands which sin has blasted have been quickened from the dead? We grovel among the trifles, our spirits fret and toss, while above us burns the vision of the Christ upon the cross, and the blood of God is streaming from his broken hands and side, and the voice of God is saying, Tell my brothers, I have died. O voice of God, we hear thee. Above the shocks of time, thine echoes roll around us. The message is sublime. No power of man can thwart us. No stronghold shall dismay when God commands obedience and love has led the way. Who is sufficient for these things? Who can do it? Confront every man, woman, boy, or girl with the gospel of Jesus Christ by the year 2000. Bold mission thrust. Build soul-winning churches. Congregationalize the people. A world outreach. Who is sufficient? A man a church, a people of God, filled with the wind and the word, the sword and the spirit, filled with God, accepting the mandate and saying, here am I, Lord, send me, and remembering so little time the harvest will be ended. Our reaping done, we reapers gathered home, report our work to Jesus, Lord of harvest, and trust he'll smile and that he'll say, well done. Today we reap or miss the golden harvest. Today has given us lost souls to win. Oh then, bold mission, and snatch them from the burning. Today we'll go to bring a world to him. Thank you, beloved.